0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Lily Allen Duenas. Together, we'll talk about the world of yoga and we'll talk to people from around the world. Join us for authentic conversations about the global yoga ecosystem, and we'll cover yoga philosophies and methodologies along the way. Inhale, exhale. We're about to dive in. Namaste and welcome to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome on to the show, we am Zabar. We M. Zabar is from Bahrain and she's a registered yoga teacher, 500 hours. She is a psychotherapist, a hypnotherapist, and a Reiki healer. And she is the founder of Namaste, which is Bahrain's first internationally recognized yoga school. Her yoga journey started in 2007. And ever since then, she really feels like nothing has remained the same. She um, has held workshops, and teacher trainings and retreat in Bahrain, as well as in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Sri Lanka, Bali, India, Morocco, and Thailand. Amazing places to be teaching yoga and welcoming people to workshops and other yoga retreats. So she teaches vinyasa, hatha, aerial, self-inquiry, philosophy, pranayama, and meditation. So thank you, Weam, for being here today.
1: Thank you so much. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you this morning.
0: So to dive in, like just let's start with your story. I would love to hear more about who you are and how yoga came into your life.
1: Okay, so I'll I'll start from the beginning, I suppose, which is a good place to start from. Um, So when I was a child, when I was about five years old, if you asked me what I wanted to be, I would say I want to be a psychotherapist. And when I was about 10 years old, I was fascinated by gymnastics. Uh, I didn't practice it. I wasn't good at it, but I was very fascinated by the human body. And what it's capable of doing, um, but as you do and as you grow up, you kind of forget about your childhood dreams. Um, and so I went into IT. I studied that at university. Uh, I came top of my class, big nerd here, and um, and then I moved on to a corporate job where I started off as a techie, and then I became a, an account manager, and that job very quickly lost its appeal um although i was traveling business class and staying in five star hotels everywhere and my career was growing very quickly it felt empty it felt like it didn't spoke it didn't speak um of my truth it didn't speak of who i was as a person and so i very quickly tired and got bored of it um and that's when That kind of was in parallel with the time that I started discovering meditation and energy healing and yoga. And I thought, you know what, I'd rather do that for a living. (laughs) You know, to me, doing yoga was the, the break in my day that I was looking forward to. It was like the sanctuary that I was looking forward to throughout my day. And I thought, I'd really like to share that with people. And so becoming a yoga teacher was, was a dream come true because it combines working with the mind that I was dreaming of in wanting to be a psychotherapist and working with the body that I was dreaming of when I was dreaming about being a gymnast. So to me, it was just the perfect fit. And that basically was the start of it.
0: Oh, that's so cool that you just walked away from this amazing corporate job and you said, okay, let's, let's reground, let's recenter. What am I really looking for? Do you feel like you felt pulled to yoga or were you just looking for a, a spiritual or a, a physical, like what was the actual gateway? How, how did you even hear of yoga?
1: So funny thing is when I started practicing yoga, it was very limited and unpopular in Bahrain. And uh, the only group of people that I knew of that practiced yoga here was a group of an older generation. So my parents' generation. And I actually heard about yoga from my auntie. She's she's a bit of a hippie and uh, a bit of a forward thinker and a nonconformist. And uh, she said you'd love yoga. You know, you should try it. And she was talking to different people about it. And for years, I just went, "Ugh, here she is on one of her other, you know, kind of um, trends. Um, and years and years later, after I had delivered my daughter, and she wasn't born naturally, I went through a C-section. And everything was too intense for my body at that stage. Everything, everything was just too difficult with the kind of surgery that I had. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll try yoga. And I walked in and I remember walking out and calling all my friends and saying, you guys are missing out. This stuff is great. You know, so it slowly became kind of my me time. It became the the time that was literally just about me. And to all the mothers out there, they know it's like when you first have a baby, nothing becomes about you anymore. Everything in your life becomes centered around your baby. And yoga was the time that was about me. And I just fell in love with it, but I never imagined that it would become also my career.
0: I'm so surprised, We um that the, the yoga in Bahrain was most popular with the older generation. Like, I haven't heard anybody say that yet. What do you, what do you attribute to? Or, or is it also the same now? or? No, it's not the same anymore, but I feel like at
1: the time when it started, there was a group of friends, basically, and that's the only group that I knew of that practiced at that time. You're talking about 2007, and they had this little uh, gathering that they would do, and they had an Indian teacher who would teach them once or twice a week, and they would rent out different venues to do it, but there was... No yoga school, yoga classes were not popular. So it was, yeah, it was it was delayed the time that we that Bahrain got into yoga. And when I opened my yoga studio, a lot of people said, "Are you insane? Who wants yoga in Bahrain? Like nobody knows about it. Nobody's interested in it. What are you doing, giving up a job for this?" But I had a vision in my head. I just knew that it would come to its tipping point with
0: time. That's a lot of faith. I love it. I, you could feel it. <laughs> so what is yoga in Bahrain like now? I know that you do have the yoga studio, the first registered one. Congratulations for that. That's just the coolest. Um, and I'd love to hear more about how yoga has shifted in Bahrain since you got started.
1: A few yoga studios opened up after I had. So after the first, I would say, five years, it took me two years to succeed. It took me two years of patiently waiting and educating and um, advocating yoga for to have a real client base that would sustain my business. And after a few people saw that I had succeeded, then they decided to open their own yoga studios. So there are a few yoga studios around the island. But at the same time, Bahrain is a very small country. So we're a total population of 1.5 million people, of which only half of a million are locals. Um. So just by the lack of population. It makes doing business on this island a bit trickier. And to have a business that is a bit more niche, it limits the kind of the demographic of the clientele that you could potentially have, if you see what I mean. So I would say it's still small. It's still a small market, but the effect it has had
0: on people's lives has made it worth it over the years. And um, are your students becoming younger and younger? I have a combination.
1: I have all sorts of age groups and backgrounds and um, experiences with yoga. So I have some serious students and they go on to do their teacher trainings with me. And I have some newer students. I have older students and we cater to a lot of different people. Um, I do still love teaching older people more, though. I got to say, there's something so gratifying about teaching the older group of people because the difference it makes to them is bigger. And so their appreciation for the practice and what it means um, is greater. And they tend to be more consistent and more serious students than younger students, believe it or not.
0: Mm, Yeah, I've had some students as well over the years who are, um, you know, 55 plus and come in with various accidents or injuries or hip replacements. And I also find it's, it's really rewarding as a yoga teacher to kind of figure out how to modify and cater a class to, to their needs. I like that creative element as well. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned a little bit about Bahrain, but I would love to just for one minute, just pretend somebody's never heard of your country before. How would you describe it?
1: So Bahrain is a small, well, it's a series of islands. They're 30-something islands, and most people live on the mainland and Muharraq, which is the second largest island. Uh, it's in the middle of the Arabian Sea, so we are east of Saudi Arabia, and it's pretty chill. It's a cosmopolitan country. Um, it's a very tolerant country. Um, and I know that if people don't really live in the Middle East, they have the idea that it might be limited or restricted. Um, but Bahrain is one of those countries that is very open and tolerant and welcoming and diverse. Um, it's very laid back. Um, everything is At a slower speed (laughs) than your average speed, you know, although it is filled with cities and, you know, skyscrapers and um, it is very modern. It's still laid back. Um, It was actually voted the best country for um, expats in the world because of. How safe it is and how easy it is to bring up a family here. So often people will come in and say, oh, I'm just going to stay for a year to save some money and leave. And then 15, 20 years later, they're still here. So it's one of those countries that really capture you and
0: uh, entice you and uh, make you fall in love with it. Oh, you described that so beautifully. I definitely think that our listeners will be now having Bahrain on their radars. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so you there is a large community of expats. I mean, if you were voted that way, um, th- congratulations to Bahrain. Um, is there a large community? Yeah. So out of the 1.5 million, 1 million are expats. Wow. Okay. Let's Let's dive into yoga. I am so excited to talk to you more about even how hypnotherapy and psychotherapy complement your yoga teaching and yoga practice. I'm really curious about how those two um, integral parts of your life and and your being, how that influences your yoga teaching and and yoga self-practice too.
1: I think one of the biggest takeaways I have taken from my psychotherapy training and practice is that you don't know is that you don't know what someone is going through, but also you don't know what they're thinking and what they're feeling and why they're thinking what they're thinking and why they're feeling what they're feeling. And you don't know what's best for anybody. I think that was the biggest takeaway for me is to take a further step back from what I was already doing and really become a witness in the process of watching my students practice. There was a a level of being opinionated that I had in me for many years where I thought, okay, I've, I've done enough self-inquiry, I've done enough teaching, I've done enough speaking to people that I can guess what they're thinking or what they're feeling or how they're experiencing something. And what psychotherapy has taught me is you have no idea. You'd be surprised at what's going on in someone's heart and what's going on in someone's head. You know, so it has allowed me to become more of a um, more of an enabler, I would say, or more of a witness, more of somebody that is there to really hold the space in a way that interferes less than I was before.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, that is a powerful lesson to learn as well, that we are a lot we like to think we know it all. I think every, every human is that way. We're like, Oh no, I'm, I know best. I I guess it's just, it seems like it's human nature. So that unlearning of, of kind of saying, Hey, check in with yourself. Um, we all have such unique experiences and histories and biographies and biologies that it it is impossible. I mean, you just can't guess.
1: Absolutely. And, and that is, more empowering to our students is when we allow their answers to come from them is when you guide the process of the questioning and the digging and the inquiring and but in the end there's no interference it's more of a curiosity and innocence that you bring into the conversation that allows the person to find out their own truths and their own answers, because that's the only thing that is going to stick. Even if you convince someone to think a certain way or do something, they might do it for a little while to, you know, to be a good student or whatever, right? But on the long term, the answers that will stick with them are the ones that they came up with themselves.
0: So I also wanted to ask you, Um, On your on the types of yoga you teach, uh, vinyasa and hatha and aerial, you also listed self inquiry, and you just mentioned that too. How how are you actually conducting self inquiry as as a class?
1: So I have been running teacher trainings for the past uh, eight years. So a big part of the training is self inquiry. To me, to me, to be able to hold the space to someone. Else, as a yoga teacher, you need to be able to find out what your stuff is, to find out what your blind spots are. And so there's a lot of drilling that happens on our teacher trainings, and they're segmented in 10-day chunks, and even in 10 days, one of my favorite things that I hear students say is they come out of the 10 days and say, I just don't know anymore. And I love it when I hear that because to me, that's the starting point is when you have dropped all your rigid ideas about yourself and life and the world and people around you. This is when you're really open to unlimited possibilities. So to create a level of doubt and confusion is very useful in that sense. And when you go, I just don't know anymore. You know, I find that to be one of my favorite things to hear students say. The other way that I integrate self-inquiry is I run courses that combine yoga and breathing and meditation and support groups and discussions and um, journaling and exercises like that. So you're usually those are themed kind of courses that run over a few weeks with people having certain goals in mind. So that opens up the door For conversation also often we go in and we teach a class and we leave and we hardly ever get to really know our students on a deep level and this gives a platform for that for the conversation to be two-sided
0: that beginner's mind is where things kind of start to start to get really juicy (laughs) really surprising so we am um what has been your biggest lesson recently So as I said, a part of it
1: is learning to listen. I feel like often communication is happening where we're trying to fit what the other person is saying into something that we already know or we already believe in. And to really listen with the intention of listening and understanding rather than with the intention of responding or even fixing and repairing. And what I have learned a lot of time in the therapy room is that a lot of time people don't want a solution. And as yoga teachers, we're often in the kind of savior mentality where we're trying to save the world from its suffering. and. Sometimes that's not what people need. They just need somebody to listen and to understand and to validate. And that's it, is to say, okay, what I hear is that you're feeling sad or that you're feeling lonely or that you're feeling disappointed or frustrated or something like that. And to just hold this space empathically for the other person without trying to come up with solutions and most of the time when I catch myself trying to give a solution it's because I'm uncomfortable with the way I'm feeling about the conversation rather than the way the person is feeling about their feelings so I'm learning more and more to take myself out of the picture is to not my not to bring myself and my baggage and my stuff into the conversation so that the person has the space and the safety to express themselves fully. And if you think about it, if you think about all of the people in your life, how many people in your life are good listeners? Not people that will give you advice, not people that will um, try to force their ideas on you, but people that are just willing to listen. And a lot of people have gone through grief with COVID, right? Grieving different things. And this act of holding the space and listening is such a big one and such a missing one that we're never taught how to do. So even though I felt like I knew how to do that for years, it's just,
0: it's peeling off different layers of it um, as time goes by. Yeah. That is a a very important lesson. Um, and thank you for sharing it because I remember reading in someone's book, uh, it was, you know, a Brene Brown or it was one of those, um, books that was written by a psychologist or social worker. And they said they were holding, um, holding workshops called the art of listening. And they almost always had to cancel the workshops because only two people would sign up. And then when they, um, would hold a workshop on like how to be heard or, you know, the power of, you know, conscious speaking. Oh, it would just be wait lists and a hundred people would show. And she's like, everyone wants to speak these days and nobody wants to listen. Yeah, it's isn't it? yeah it's like an it's an epidemic of its own um that we all i think are so outward focused if you're thinking about what are we doing all day but we're posting our own face on social media and we're writing our own you know thoughts and feelings it's just so outward and so i think taking time in meditation to go inward is so important and then as you just brought up just not having to bring ourselves to every conversation and all our baggage with it just to hold space so that other people can be seen can be heard. Okay. So I, another powerful question I have for you, I hope your game is what is the practice of surrender?
1: So surrender is one of my favorite topics that I bring up in almost every workshop, every retreat, every teacher training, because it has been such a magical part of my life. Surrender is the feeling of trust that stays with you even when things aren't going your way. So surrender is not about giving up the external action. It's not about giving up your dreams. It's not about about being idle. It's about being clear on, this is how I say it, it's about being clear on the why of the what and then giving up the how. So, allow me to explain this. Let's say your dream is to um, have a family. Let's say your dream is to have children and a husband and a, and a household, and, and that's your dream. What's important is to understand that there is a yearning beneath that outer manifestation of this. So, there's a yearning beneath the house and the children and the husband. And that yearning can be something like, Safety, or belonging, right, or um, stability can be different things for different people. The same dream, and if you're clear on your yearning, if you say my heart's yearning is to belong, then surrender would be to give up the form in which you want your your yearning to be fulfilled. To say, hey, universe, God love, whatever you want to call it, right? You say, I'm here and this is my heart's desire and I trust that you can fulfill it. And I'm open to ideas, I'm listening. We suffer a lot because we get fixated and rigid on the form in which we want our yearnings to be fulfilled. And this is when we're blind to the endless possibilities around us. There are a million ways for each yearning that we have to be fulfilled. And that to me, what surrender is.
0: I love how you said so plainly, like, okay, universe. Okay. God. Okay. Love. Like I'm open to ideas because that is when, where the magic happens. I think it's when we create these, these boxes, right. Around our dreams and our, and what we want and what we think should happen. It's like, trying to resist and push. Um, but we're just stuck in a box. <laughs> it's, it's when you take away those constructs and walls that you're like, okay, now like show me what's going to happen. Let's make it happen together. Let's co-create this. I'm open ideas. It's when you have that flexibility and fluidity. I think that I feel, I feel, and I trust that's when things really do happen.
1: Absolutely. I, I met this brilliant, um, Teacher, she's uh, she's one of the Brahma Kumaris, so she's she follows Raja Yoga. And she she recently passed, but she was she must have been 90 something when I met her. And the Brahma Kumaris call God Baba as in father. And she said, I'm Baba's puppet. She said, Sometimes I find myself in London and I don't know what I'm doing in London, and then I see somebody that I need to help, and then I understand why I'm there and to me she's like an embodiment of surrender she's there to do the work that needs to be done for humanity without really having personal preferences it's like hey I've showed up my my goal is to relieve the suffering of humanity is to connect and I don't mind in which form that happens and so I loved how she said it like I'm Baba's puppet like she's just so open and surrendered to the idea of being moved in whichever way she needs to be moved for in each moment.
0: Wow. That is an absolute act of surrender. Yeah. To just say, I don't even know how I got to London, but I'm supposed to be here. Like that, that isn't, I don't know. It, it almost makes me feel a little like nervous. Like, how did you get to London? Like, Did you book a ticket? Like what happened there? <laughs> Not nervous for her, but just it makes in my own body I could feel I can feel that um for myself. That's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing. Um so we um I always ask um or I always try to remember to ask um each guest, what is your definition of yoga? So what is yoga to you?
1: To me, yoga is when your outside matches your inside. Yoga is when you're the way you live. And the way you interact with people reflects your inner world, how you speak to yourself, how you feel on the inside. And and it's not about being um, good, and I'm doing air quotes. It's not about being um, right. It's about living in a way that is truly authentic to who you are. I truly believe that each one of us, is a complete gem in this world. Each one of us is so beautifully unique. And if we all try to be good, it would be such a boring world to live in. So it's more about finding out the disconnect between your outer world and your inner world. That's where most of our suffering comes from, is when what we... Our yearning from from the inside doesn't match what we're doing on the outside. When the different parts of ourselves are fighting with each other because of a certain construct or belief or rule that we have taken on for no good reason. Even with my meditation practice, you know, it has kind of melted over the years. I was very serious about it in the beginning, and I would have to sit for this long, you know, this number of times a week. And that was great. I highly recommend it. But I felt like the practice integrated when my day has become more like a meditation, when it's when it doesn't matter if I'm going on the outside or the inside, it doesn't matter if I'm dealing with somebody who is pleasant or unpleasant. It doesn't matter if I'm doing something that is fun or serious. When it just, it becomes more equal, everything becomes more equal. Where there's less grasping and attachment and more being fully alive in this moment as it unfolds. To me, that, those are moments of yoga.
0: You're absolutely right. Those are the the yoga moments. The true, the truest, bluest, most honest, realist yoga moments are those states of kind of equanimity and non not constantly feeling dissatisfied for those no good reasons. And oh, there are a lot of those no good reasons out there, aren't there? Absolutely. Mm, so how did you cultivate that practice then? It seems like you said it now your meditation has just melted into this um, daily you know, act of kind of being more mindful and meditative as you go through your day. So how do you think you, you've gotten there from sitting down, disciplined a um, certain amount of time, certain days a week to this um, very amazing and admirable and celebratory state of being that way throughout your day? I think it's a
1: part of it is I questioned at some point when I had changed my practice. So, when I started practicing yoga less and when I started meditating less, and the feelings of guilt that came up and stuff like that, right? And I just paused and it's like, well, hang on a second. The the practice works for me. I don't work for the practice. So, the practice was designed. To fulfill a purpose and if that purpose is is not being fulfilled then or if it's not needed as much then why am i having guilt around not practicing and the other part of it is i had the most troubled mind you know so from a very early age and The first psychiatrist I had ever seen said to me that he suspects that it had started when I was five. I had a very turbulent mind and I couldn't get a break from it. And that's why I got into meditation. And that first moment that I got the silence that I had craved for so many years, that's what got me hooked on it. But as I practice to still my mind, to filter my mind, to question my mind, to work with my mind, to look at my mind empathically, that's why they call it a practice, right? You practice meditation so that you can take it into your life, so that you can be less reactive, so that you can be kinder to yourself, so that you can be nicer to the other people. You know, and if you have been practicing meditation for years and those things are not happening, I would say question your meditation practice. It's not working, right? The point is not to practice. The point is, how is it spilling over other areas of your life? What benefits are you seeing from it? And I was just telling um, a friend of mine last week is that my practice now is to have vulnerable conversations. This is my practice right now. To me, this is the part that I had missed out on doing for many years. I had built a very strong and rigid structure around my practice to say, I'm gonna meditate, nobody's gonna stop me, I'm gonna practice yoga, nobody's gonna stop me, I'm gonna be strong, right? Those are the words that I use with myself. And I for years had suppressed a lot of feelings and pushed down a lot of feelings and built a very strong shell around myself where my boundaries were very rigid and that created a different kind of suffering for me so that's another thing that I've learned recently is to open up and to be more vulnerable and to take a risk and Our practice doesn't need to be the same throughout our lives, right? Our practice is whatever is needed in the moment. And that writing my book recently, that has been a big practice of vulnerability where I'm spilling out a lot of the stuff that has happened in my life, a lot of the suffering that I have gone through, a lot of my journey to get where I got today. It hasn't been easy, you know, and the feedback has been great because people then, when people see you um, being vulnerable, they become vulnerable with you too, right? So a lot of people wrote back saying, you know what? My mother has the same disorder you have or I have suffered in this. And, and a lot of people said, I had no idea. You seem so calm and relaxed all the time and you're helping people stay calm and relaxed. So we had no idea you were going that and that's the beauty of vulnerability is that it, it creates intimacy and real
0: connections I couldn't agree more I think having vulnerable conversations is is one of the most important things um, you know that we can share as humans just kind of cutting out that small talk or all the artifice and all the kind of the faking it the, the constructs we create it's it's just exhausting and so to be able to kind of go deeper. And that's a big purpose of this podcast too, to like really dig in and really see where we can go together.
1: I'm so glad you're doing it.
0: Oh, well, thank you for being vulnerable with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for holding this space. I, you what you said just really resonated with me there, though, this creating this kind of strong, I will do this and I will sit here. And the first thing I think you said that hit me like, you know, with the frying pan on the head type of thing is you're not working or the practice works for you. You don't work for the practice. And I was like, oh, man, that's so good. So I definitely wanted to say it again and hear it again and feel that again, because I think that's something that we can... It's easy to lose sight of that because one of the uh, niyamas, you know, is tapas, which is discipline, austerity. I know it can also be translated to like burning enthusiasm, which is much more uh, resonant for me. But this discipline element, I think um, I was in Nepal. That was where I did my training and I've done... um, a lot more uh, courses and study in India. And it's, it's very strict. It's, it's about creating a daily discipline that, um, with rules and structure, I've practiced Ashtanga and that certainly is very uh, restrictive in its, um, rules. Uh, but it, so it just resonates that sometimes I feel like now it's kind of, I'm in a process of evaluating, okay, how can this shift? How can this um, kind of melt away a little bit too to, to be less, um, less, have less feelings of guilt or less feelings of, um, necessity and, um, shame if I don't and, you know, bravo if I do type of thing. So I'm, I'm glad we talked about that, but what is advice you give to people or what advice would you give me or what came up when I, when I shared that?
1: I think discipline is great and so and, and it's certainly necessary, especially in the beginning. Tapas is kind of, to me, tapas is like going against your samskara. It's going against your habitual patterns. And if your pattern is to beat yourself up, then your tapas is not to. If your pattern is to give up too quickly, then your tapas is not to. Do you see what I mean? So I don't feel like tapas is a one size fit all for people. If your habit is to speak to yourself in a rigid way, in a way that enforces punishment, in a way that enforces shame, then can't the practice of being kind to yourself be your tapas? Can't you be disciplined and saying, you know what? I'm going to be kind to myself as often as I can. And as often as I notice that I'm not being kind to myself, that can be tapas too. It doesn't have to be very outward. It doesn't have to be very masculine, right? Often we overvalue things that we can see. Oh, I've sat for things we can measure. I've sat for 30 minutes today. I sat for 60 minutes today. But we undervalue things that are more subtle.
0: I agree, the unquantifiable elements. We 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 know we can't just parrot them back to people or parrot them back to ourselves as little badges of honor. So those subtler, well, I stopped myself from saying something negative self-talk five times today (laughs) we don't usually say something like that but I wish we did absolutely so we mentioned we talked about yoga and um what yoga is and what yoga gives and how kind of beautiful yoga the offerings it has in our lives so um a question on the the total other end of it we am is what do you not like about yoga
1: uh, there are a few things that i don 't like about yoga, um one of which is the cult culture and a lot of stories has come out recently about the whole bikram thing and and I think that it's very important for us as yoga teachers to be very conscious of when someone is trying to put us up on a pedestal. And to be very conscious of times when we're taking someone's power away from them by not giving them the choice to choose for themselves what's best for them. And I think that we can't um, brush the stories of molestation and manipulation that happens in the yoga world and pretend like it's not there. I think that those are important conversations to have and it's important that this is something that is to be taught in teacher trainings to yoga teachers to say, hey, this your job is to teach yoga and nothing else. So that we're not crossing any lines and we're not crossing any boundaries that create scenarios like this.
0: Yeah, that was never brought up to me in a, a teacher training before.
1: It's certainly something that I've recently started speaking about in teacher trainings. And I did have someone say to me once, oh, you can't talk about this teacher this way. And I said, I'm speaking of their actions and those are facts. So, yeah, I have every right to speak about it because I owe it to the victims. And I owe it to the future victims that would suffer from it if we don't speak about this. Sometimes human beings can be so desperate for answers that they don't care what the answer is so long they get an answer. And I think this is when you end up in a very vulnerable position. So my, my thinking is that we need to question even our teachers. And to connect with our gut feeling, to connect, to connect with our intuition, to connect with our inner truths. And when something inside of us says no, to really listen to that no. We can't give our power to someone, no matter how highly we think of that person. Is that in the end, all of our choices are ours. We can't just blindly follow somebody because we think that they're better than us. In the end, there are very beautiful and amazing enlightened beings out there. Absolutely, 100%. But our path is ours. Our path is ours alone.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's important to, as you said, never give your power to someone else. And I think that's an important. to reflect on even in just our life currently, like whether we have a guru or not, or a a teacher that perhaps we're putting too much faith in or, or whatever that is, but just, you know, evaluate your own life a little, you know, how your partner, your parents, your just kind of that, that feeling of self, of self-empowerment is really important. And feeling powerless can definitely be the cause of a lot of. I don't know, difficulties. It's, it's hard to even put into words for me. It's, I know it's something we all, as humans, that, that balance of power, that struggle for power. It's just as it's just part of life. And I, I think it's good to, to think about, go deeper with.
1: And as yoga teachers, to think about when we knowingly or unknowingly take away that power from our students, so to be very aware of that is that their own intelligence and wisdom and knowledge is as good as anybody's and just because we did a 200 hours somewhere you know doesn't make us more intelligent or more wise or more knowing we might know a little bit more about yoga but we certainly don't know much about a person's decision or
0: their their lives you're completely correct um so I, did, I, I do know, and I'm so excited, that you are an author. You're a published author. I would love for you to share more about your book, um, your newest release, and if, if you'd like to. I'd love to hear about it.
1: Yeah, I'd love to share that. So I have recently published a book called Living in the Gray. It's available on Amazon and Kindle, and it talks about... My journey so far, it talks about from childhood years to how I got introduced to the world of spirituality, what my relationship with the religion has been, how uh, my uh, practice in yoga has helped, and meditation, and surrender, of course, is in the book as well, Um, and things that I have learned both as a patient and as a psychotherapist in the therapy room. So I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder just over three years ago after being misdiagnosed a number of times by different psychiatrists and it has been a really eye-opening experience because I always felt like something was off but I didn't know what that thing was. And to have it explained to me with a borderline diagnosis and, and to understand that I wasn't the only one out there it gave me so much relief and gave me direction in, in how to work with it. Um, all the work that I have done with meditation and yoga and self-inquiry over the years have been phenomenally valuable to my recovery, absolutely 100%. But then came a point where I plateaued where there was blind spots in my psyche that I wouldn't have been able to process or see without the psychotherapy and the hypnosis and the learning to reach out to communities and support groups and to be vulnerable. So that's basically, in a nutshell,
0: what my book talks about, and I'm very excited for it to be out in the world. Me too, that is such an a labor of love, an act of expression just i I'm so excited for you that you you've gotten it all out and it is, it's there for everyone to read and to connect with and to benefit from, um, your story. And, uh, just all my dear listeners, this will, her book will absolutely be linked in the show notes, wherever you're listening, as well as on my website, wildyogatribe.com. So you can check out, um, M's book, living in the gray there. Also, um, Wei-M, I would love for you to share your, your socials and how people can get in touch with you. And if you're having any offerings now that, uh, people should tap into love to hear about it.
1: Thank you. So my Instagram tag is wonder wonder we, and, uh, the yoga studio I run is namaste. And the Instagram tag is namaste BH or, You can visit the website, namastebh.com. We do have a teacher training coming up very soon, in just a couple of months. So that's the closest offering that I have. But I'd love to hear from everybody that listens to this podcast and would like to give any feedback or share any opinions or
0: start a conversation. I would love to hear from everyone. Wonderful. I will, again, link everything um, that... we am just brought up here in the show notes and on my website so tap into those links easy as pie (laughs) to to get in touch with her and as she said i'm sure she'd love to hear from you as would i so don't hesitate to drop us notes um so thank you so much we for being here with me today it's been a true joy to be with you
1: thank you so much for having me and i
0: really enjoyed our conversation Thank you so much, dear listener, for tuning in today to my conversation with Weem Zabar from Bahrain. I hope you enjoyed learning more about the practice of surrender and not only what is amazing about yoga, but also what maybe is not so not so great about yoga as well, learning about Weem's lessons, um, her biggest lessons in life, as well as her practice of psychotherapy as a complement. Um, to her yoga teaching and her yoga practice, as well as getting to know just Bahrain better. I I hope that you found this conversation to be surprising, delightful, delicious, uh, everything great. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Be well. Feel like getting social, connect with me and the Wild Yoga Tribe on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Head on over to thewildyogatribe.com to tap into some pretty awesome resources. Meditate with me on Insight Timer, a free app on Apple and Android devices, and join me for a yoga class on YouTube. Jazz up your week and get a bit of yoga in your life. Remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and if you feel called, please share this episode with someone that you think could benefit from it. Leaving a review would also be so appreciated. Thank you again, dear listener, for being with me. May your day be light and bright. May you be peaceful and happy and led on the right path, free of suffering and free of sorrow. Be well, dear one. Be well.